This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. And uh, back by popular demand, uh, we have signed Ophelia <laughs> McMillian. What about it, Al? It's always good to have you guys on. And we're actually... Uh, apparently in your locale today, because I'm looking at my screen and uh, y'all are in the duck call room today. So that's a little bit different. Is it everything moved to town for some reason, Chase? Did you just decide you want to go to the duck call room? What are we doing? Uh, I didn't get the memo <laughs> until I did. <laughs> and it's just turned into bizarro world. I think it had something to do with the promotion of Phil's movie. The blind. The blind. So Zach, who is not here, because <laughs> he's busy. He's a mogul. And so next thing I knew, because size now a package deal, I'm not sure what's happened. I mean, y'all have become the Batman and Robin, the motorcycle with the little scooter beside it. <laughs> Every time I see y'all, I picture a motorcycle with a scooter. Size it in. looks like the number 10. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but Philip, you're, you're always driving. Well, yeah, I have to drive. Have you ever seen him drive? Have I seen him drive? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, then you know. Yeah, I actually uh, got someone reached out on the one of those I Survive shows, and they said, we heard that you had ridden with Si and survived. <laughs> is that true, Si? No, I, I made it up. All I do is a laugh on the movie. I have the need for speed. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, you so, know, Seinfeld said you you should be able to drive whatever the speed limit is, whatever your age is, because you've earned that. So the older you get, the faster you should be able to drive. So, but we should actually, just get out of your way. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. I mean, well, seventy five is a good speed because I was on the I twenty going east, and I looked to the right. And there's a green wing teal. Oh, here we go. I actually mentioned <laughs> no, no. this story in our last podcast. Yeah. You did. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, I'm looking and I look at the speedometer. I'm doing 75 and that green wing teal. Now, he's on cruise control. Yeah. He ain't, could, roll, he ain't could, rolling but 75. Yeah. On a deal, on a downhill sale, they're running about a 125. <laughs> so I've clocked them going 75. <laughs> And that's the end of that story. Yeah. <laughs> well, we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, that was actually mentioned earlier. So, Phil, it's always good to have you, Philip, uh, back on the podcast. Uh, you were telling us you've been having you had some um, you had some health issues lately. That yeah, were, were so, kind of bizarre. Yeah, it was it was kind of kind of weird. I was I was driving to a meeting over in Ruston, and you know, I'm, I'm right now I'm driving size. Uh, old truck but it's got a picture of Cy wrapped around it and so everybody thinks that it's Cy and it's really me 
<laughs> but really, boy, they probably see you and say, "Wow, they wow. Say, look how good Sai looks." <laughs> He's gained a little weight. He's had surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Phil, for taking the fat jokes for me. I'm usually the one that gets those. <laughs> Al, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. <laughs> Thank you, brother. No, but, he actually scared me. The phone rang and he said, "Hey, look, I'm over here rusting. I, I just had the." Uh, you know, I, he said, uh, I had gas in my chest and all this other junk. And I said, what? Oh, I was in the ER. So yeah. I, made, I made it to, to Ruston, but then I had to pull <laughs> off the road because I was about to pass out. What did the doctor say? The doctor, four hours after I went in, the doctor said, okay, your blood is fine. Your pressure's fine. You, don't, you don't have a stroke. You That's didn't right. have a heart attack. You got gas. <laughs> and I said, well, I've known that for years. <laughs> well, everybody needs a little gas. <laughs> he said, get out of here. <laughs> oh, but by the way, you have a UTI, a urinary tract infection. He said, which is, is can cause some damage. And I mean, that would, that's why you're probably dehydrated and you... I mean, some things go wild when you have a UTI. I've never had one before, so you probably get them every she day. She said your shoulder no. was hurting. And my shoulder was numb because the night before, me and Alicia were watching a movie, and I fell asleep on the couch, and she just left me. You know, the next morning, I'm like, all stove up. I'm like, oh, my face is a little numb. So I got the numb face, the bubble gut, and I'm about to pass out from the UTI, and I was like, maybe I, can, I can't make it. So you had a urinary tract infection. Yeah. And your shoulder's hurting, which and, tells me my that, face was numb. that track yeah. went off the rails somewhere. <laughs> oh, it went off the rails. And his face is numb. He took a wrong turn. <laughs> In Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah so, so he let me go and said, you know, here's your medicine, and you're going to be fine. And then I texted my wife and said, oh, just by the way, I stopped by the ER. Everything's fine. You know, I'll call you later. And so when she got out, she was like, well, why didn't you call me and tell me? I would have drove over. I said, I know you would have. I didn't want you to. I was fine. I figured I'd be okay. And if I wasn't okay, I was okay. Because the whole time I was like praying, you know, I was like, Lord, thank you for blessing me and things you've done in my life. And because that'll put things in perspective quickly. Yeah. You know, until he came in there, the doctor's shaking his head. Nope. No, you're fine. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Get out. I was like, well, sorry. Stop by. It all started with you driving size truck. That that's <laughs> and then, yeah. then all of a sudden you started getting these old men diseases. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> Transferred. That's how you to. left them in there for me, didn't you? <laughs> oh. So, Sai, uh, you, have you seen any good westerns lately? Yeah, I just watched Lee Van Cliff with uh, what Death Rode a Horse. Death right. Rode a Horse. Yeah, and it showed every time it showed a horse, people fixing to die, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so was Lee Van Cleef the good guy in this one? Or? Yeah. Well, he was. He was both. Because he's been in most of the Eastwood movies he was in, he was either bad or both. Yeah. You know, he was, he was like both. That. He was a bad guy, and he saved this kid. You know, this gang killed the kid's father and mother, and like his siblings. Okay, and he survived because Lee Van Cleef hit him from. the I think it's Cleef. It's Cle <laughs> Lee Van Cleef, not Cliff. Well, whatever. Hey. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it, it was a lot of gunplay and a lot of dying going on. That's a good one. And the best one was this guy, one of the bad guys, was called uh, Four Aces. He had Four Aces tattooed on his chest. Mm. Well, when the kid killed him, he shot him all Four Aces. <laughs> you know, and, and then Cliff come in and said, hey, he killed three of them, yo. Because the kid already, he said, hey, look. 
You, using four bullets on one man is a waste. <laughs> Don't ruin the ending. I haven't yeah. seen it. Is this a new movie? Uh, no, it's an old one. Oh. Yeah. You can tell it's a spaghetti western because of all the wow, 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 wow. <laughs> the sound effects. And all the shots. They had that ricochet. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, the, yeah, they got the neatest gun sounds. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I got a question. Have you ever seen the movie Valdez is coming? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I never can't think of that guy's name. Is Bert Star- Lancaster. Bert Lancaster. Yeah. 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 That's all the stuff. Tell me what? Tell them Valdez is coming. <laughs> and y'all, and then I'll add like Tombstone. And guess what? There's death coming with Valdez. <laughs> death coming with me, boys. Oh, I'm trying to find a spiritual application here, but I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting on us to move forward. Hey, well, no, no. Well, hey, look, here's the spiritual, here's the spiritual side All of right, it. Size there more. is a resurrection coming, so that's why I ain't worried about death. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, that works. Uh, Old hey. Lee Van Cliff yeah. just gets you to the resurrection right. a little quicker. A little Cliff quicker. is taking you to the resurrection, boys. Don't worry worry about it hey well just, before, before just we move take on the bullet, take the bullet and fall over and hey let's move on before we move on i at least want to mention si that you're you're well not you personally but your character uh, is in a movie called the blind that's that's actually out this week and uh we talked a little bit about that last time you guys were on but i didn't mention last time that you actually you and christine were living in junction city for some of that period of time that the movie was going on, because because they you're kind of prominent in the movie and Jan is as well, because it shows some childhood stuff that you guys went through and kind of growing up, and then also as you got older and you're kind of you know trying to you know figure out how how do we get dad back on the rails you know so it was interesting but during that period of time I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast. Um, I, they put me in school. I was like four years old and they just, you know, they didn't have anything to do with me. So they just stuck me in school, which I guess in Arkansas, you can go whenever you want to, which caused me to be a 16 year old senior, <laughs> which wasn't necessarily the best of things, but they, they didn't have anything to do with Jace. Cause Jace was just a baby. He was a little toddler. So he spent a lot of time with you and Christine during that era. Uh, y'all kept him a lot. Uh, when when we were kids, so I've always thought that's and he's your namesake because he was named after you. Is that so, what happened? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. And that's why we can't get along. Yeah. I thought we'd get along fine. No. What? Are you angry at me for some reason? No. <laughs> You're too much. You got some of my mannerisms. So, hey, you know, can't, we can't deal. With We're it. too hard headed, I think, uh, is yeah. the problem. Uh, stubborn's bing, the word. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. But, you, but, Si, you talked about we, when we did the Blind Movie podcast, you talked about, you know, the difficulty and kind of having a front row seat to all that because you were living there. Uh, and yet Jan's like eternal optimism and sort of sticking up for dad was, was powerful. And uh, talk a little bit about that. Just, just kind of your, your experience from being right there in the midst of the whole thing. And then of course, watching the change. That well, after that. as I have said before, the whole family had given up on him except one person. That was my younger sister. You know, and she, uh, she really jumped on all of us. Okay. With both feet. Yeah. And rightfully so. Oh, no, no. And hey, she'd do a dance on you. I'm telling you. you know, tell me, hey, y'all need to be ashamed of yourself. That's your brother for crying out loud, blood kin. And, you know, 
Y'all just don't understand. He's going to run up on Jesus one of these days, and when he does, you're going to be shocked at all the people he brings to Christ. Yes, he was right. Y'all, bless her heart, she was right. And, uh, but he actually put me in bad situations because we would, it would start out to let's go hunting. Well, then the hunt would bring in the alcohol and the women and all this other junk. Yeah. You know, so it would just, it, it put me in a bad situation and Phil, I said, well, I, I, I abandoned him just like everybody else. And Phil said, no, you didn't. Cause you actually went with him. And you was a positive influence with him. And I said, well, I don't know about that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I said, it made Kay feel better that I was with him. But, you know, it never did deter nothing that was going on. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it was just, it was a, it, it was a rough time, you know, in, in the family's background. Yeah, and I thought, and I thought the movie captured it well, just the, you guys trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, it's sort of like having you know, a kid that, that goes you know, sideways and goes as a prodigal, like we're going to get into with Luke 15. It's just a hard thing to know what to do to try to reach them. And well, you just don't know what, you know, you want to help them and you want to be there for them. But like you said, you really, you know, you can't help someone that don't want it. Yeah. Okay. And like in the movie displays it really good. Talking about, hey, you know, Phil just told them all, hey, look, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. All y'all get out of my face. Yeah. You know, so I thought it was neat that, um, you know, how it kind of closes with, a, you know, 10 years after and there's a there's a meal of people together. And it's kind of a little bit of, I think, a nod to Duck Dynasty, like around the dinner table. But um so the actor that played you is it there, and then and then my youngest daughter played Christine, uh, which was which was funny that we got to do that. <laughs> yeah. We got to some of our some of the younger ones got to play y'all as in a, a younger age. But I, I think the idea is that it you know obviously ended on a high note, which is a good thing. Let's uh, let's take our first break. So Jay says they say tis the season. It's uh, hunting season is upon us, and. Um, getting ready for ducks and deer and everything else. And so to do that, you got to get your guns ready. Of course, if you uh, are a gun enthusiast and you just like to shoot or you got it for personal protection or whatever, uh, you always got to keep your guns clean. And uh, we met a a, a wonderful group of guys that uh, own the company called Barrel Buddy uh, that we talk about here on the podcast. Uh, Great Christian guys, kind of like us, just were out in the field, saw a need, uh, for a better way to clean their barrels and their weapons. And, uh, and they came up with this concept, these polymers. Um, do you have one, Jace? Yeah, I got one right here. There you go. There you go. So these white polymers, uh, when you put them in your barrel, they push outward to fill the interior of your gun barrel. And they're going to make sure that all the rifle grooves, uh, everything is clean. That's a 3D cylinder. It's exactly what your barrel needs. Uh, these these white polymers are going to make sure that you see what comes out uh, and gets behind uh, gets uh, all the residue particles out, uh, which is what we need. It cleans by scrubbing and collecting these particles, uh, and then buffs the interior surface. So it's a good product. They're good guys. Uh, we want you to check them out. Got to have those clean weapons to be effective and efficient. Clean your gun is really important. So go to BarrelBuddy.com today. 
B-A-R-R-E-L buddy.com. Check them out. So, uh, uh, yeah. And so the movie is great. Obviously we want people to continue to see it. Um, you know, it's, a, it makes a difference in people's lives and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, so I want to mention one more thing before we get to our text. Um, you were like, whenever you, you went in the military after that, after the, the movie era, you went into the military full time. So we only got to see you, you know, seemed like every other year, maybe it wasn't even every year. Cause you'd be deployed and you were in Germany quite a bit and overseas. But when you would come in, you know, you'd usually spend a week, you and Christine and the kids. And then of course it was domino games and all the stuff we've talked about. And we were together for that whole week. We'd be hunting cause it'd usually be Thanksgiving or Christmas but you would always tell us your stories. And so that was kind of the foundation for us of having uncle side tell his stories, which was obviously then such a big deal in the shows and everything we've done since then. And whenever they were going to, when the show was out and people were starting to write books. And, and so we, we were going to write this, they were going to do a book with you. And it was kind of a, the idea was like, a, just your sayings and stuff from the show. And I heard about it and I thought, well, that'll be interesting. But I thought to myself, that's a missed opportunity because it would be a lot better book if Sai told his life story through his stories that, that I grew up hearing. So the publisher called me, and this is unusual because they had already made the deal. They were doing their thing. It was kind of minimal work kind of a thing because you weren't going to have to contribute a ton to the book. And she asked me if I thought this was a good idea because I've been working with the other books. And I said, I think you're missing an opportunity because I think Sai could do a book about his life story, but told by him through his stories, the way the stories that we grew up here, because they were always fantastical. We would sit around just, you know, wrapped, waiting to, to how it was going to end. And so she changed the whole plan. And that's what we wound up doing. So I got to spend three days with you and Christine <laughs> uh, just prompting stories that I grew up here and. And then you and Christine telling your life through the prism of those stories. And so that was psychology, which was the first book you did. Uh, and, and the best one in my opinion, because it was so good, but it was really rich. And I just, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I really, I love that three days because it was like going back in time to tell those stories. And so I just think that was more uniquely you. And obviously it was the right thing to do. So, well, that, that was actually a good call on your, on your deal because the guy that the publisher, every time we'd go to New York, we'd go to a meal, have you know some restaurant. He'd come sit by me and he said, "Hey, look, when are you going to write your book?" You know, and I said, "Hey, look, I've lived my life; it ain't very, it's not very interesting." He said, "Look, Willie wrote. I think Willie wrote the first one. It won number one bestseller. Then Phil wrote the next one. It won." He said, "Hey, look." Just between me and you, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> you write your book, you'll sell three times what Willie sell and five <laughs> times what Phil said. You know, and I said, are you kidding me? He said, I'm telling you, you need to write your book. So I finally relented. Well, they got what we call a ghostwriter to come over, okay, and me and you and him sit down for three right. days. Yeah. And you would kind of, when I would run out of gas, you would say, hey, tell them this one. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> no. So so the storytelling thing, that's why the book is unique, okay, because it really, my, that's my life, that book, but it's through my stories. Yeah. yeah. 
So how well, much of the book is actually true? 95%. Right, 95%. <laughs> okay. So, and then that's why it was so funny because, look, you know, since I'm the youngest, we Phil come in one Friday night and said, Mom, me, you know, me and my friends are going to catfishing on Red River. You know, and the first thing out of Mama's mouth was, take your brother. You know, oh, Mom, I'm going, I'm going to my football player team, you know, and all that. And he said, take your brother. So since I was youngest, they dropped me off on River on this side. Okay, there's a boat there. They crank it up for me and said, hey, see that log over there on the other side? I said, yeah. They said, motor straight to it and tie the boat up and then wait. We'll be around later. We're going to get all the all the goods. You know? And I said, okay. So I don't even know where I'm at. I'm just on Red River somewhere and it's in the wilderness. Okay. So I'll go across. They wait till they watch me tie the boat up and then they wave and they leave. Well, it's getting dark. I, you know, I walk up the top of the cliff. We was in a little area in the woods there where a camp, camp used to be. You could tell somebody had camped there. You know? So I'm sitting there, and I'm talking, ooh, it's getting dark. You know? I ain't got no fire. I ain't got nothing. You know? I'm sitting in the wilderness. So then the coyotes start yelping. We called them wolves back in that days. Okay, but they was actually coyotes. Called- you know, so anyway, hey. <laughs> they called them wolves. Yeah, yeah. So it was a circle about 30 yards, you know, in woods, you know, bushes. I hear them yelling, you know, rip, 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 you know. And one of them sticks his head on the other side, you know, looking. He, he sees you. Yeah, he sees me, and there's another one sticks his head out. So, look, there's a place in the, you could tell where a pickup had been through the grass. Hmm. So they get to chasing me. But, hey, I take off running. <laughs> Yo, this is just on grass. It turns into a dirt road, okay? That dirt road turns into a gravel road. Then the gravel road turns into a paved road. They're still chasing. Oh, they're still chasing me. I look back, you know, and I got it in first gear. I said, hey, you can put it in second, sir. Put it in second. No, nope, they're gaining. Put it in third. No. Hey, go ahead and put it in fifth and put the hammer down because, hey, they're getting close. But you're on foot. I'm on foot. So, look. So these are gears within yeah, your body. Yeah, right I, behind you. And I got, you know, my kids' tennis shoes on. Yeah. So, anyway, I've done run about 10 miles. Okay. Well, that, I finally looked behind them. I said, okay, I lost it. So I stop, you know, trying to catch my breath, and I, all I can smell is burnt rubber. I said, "Well, we got a man that a uh, farmer's burning some burning some wood piles. He threw a tire on it and lit it gas on it. And he's burning woods, you know. About that time, I told kid, grief, it's getting hot around this joint, boys. You know, and then the, the aroma of burnt rubber, and I look down, and my kid's tennis shoes are on fire." <laughs> Yeah, so lucky, just lucky, it had rained. So I looked over there and I stepped in the ditch and just, I put them out. Yeah, everybody asked me, said, well, okay, how much of that is true? I said, everything in that story is true, but one thing. The wolves? I said, no. I said, my tennis shoes didn't catch on fire. I said, but hey, I had been picking them up and laying them down so fast that, hey, when I was walking on the pavement, it was, <laughs> so my whole book that's about all the stories about my life yeah yeah so it's a really an interesting read so that you was three, th- da- three days Jason. you don't think you were sitting in the boat fell asleep dreamed that no i didn't dream it and oh i've been chased by coyotes twice really yeah man phil was shooting ducks oh here we on, go on, 
on Old River, Red River. I hadn't heard this one. Yeah. So look, we're either. chest deep in water. Okay. Did you have waders on? Oh no, no. That oh. back day, hey, our waders was tennis shoes and blue jeans. Oh, okay. Okay. So anyway, we were chest deep, and and we was on right on the edge of the tree line. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the mallards would come out there and they'd light about forty yards outside them trees. Well, hey, it's too far from the bank, so we had to get on the tree line, and then then they was in gun range. Yeah. You know, so we let them come down and backpedal and just boom, 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 boom. You know, kill them. You know, Phil said, hey, shoot that cripple over there. The duck's spinning like this. Yeah, hey, shoot that cripple. So I was going over and I, I looked. Well, there's a shadow about eight foot long under this duck. Well, really? about that time, the duck's spinning and this whoop. Disappeared. The duck disappeared and then that <laughs> shadow starts moving Toward me, I just, hey, then it was a little walking on water there. I went to the bank. Yo, Fitz, what are you doing? I said, alligator, about 10 foot long. Then he walked. We both walked on water. <laughs> so where's the coyote come in? Well, hey, anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So we pick up, look, we pick up how all long, our ducks. How long do these stories last? Well, no, no, this, well, you I, tell this, me. No, no, this is quick. So look, You're in this story. We had a tow sack full of ducks, throw them over our back. Well, they're bloody. Yeah. Okay, so then we hear, you feel some good grief. I think they're trading us. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're getting close. Well, this was back in the day when, look, we would get on the school bus going to school. Yeah. The the trappers that night had caught all these uh, coyotes. Mm-hmm. And you'd see like 50 to 75 or 150 on the fence line. 50 yeah. coyotes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they was pulling down grown bulls. It wasn't a calf for a sick cow. Had y'all been drinking the night no, before? No. <laughs> so. no, this was when we was in high school. This was pre-Jesus. <laughs> But anyway, hey. Well, no. okay. They got to chasing us, and hey, he said, how many shells you got? And I said, I ain't got but two left. He said, well, we're in trouble because I ain't got but a couple of left myself, and that's a pack of coyotes. Oh. Yeah. So they was actually trading us. You remember that, Phil? Uh, the documentation of these stories would be hard to. <laughs> 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 I was watching Phil. <laughs> I don't know. Something, <laughs> something happened in Vietnam. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. No, no. When I, when I, the one in there about, okay, I was hey, driving. Hang on, si. Hang on. I want you to tell this story because this is one of my favorites. We got to take a break. So, Jace, I got breaking news for you. You ready to hear it? Yeah. Now, more than ever, you need to take care of your liver. Okay. Did you know that? No. The reason why is the latest data from the American Heart Association indicates that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. A hundred million Americans have fatty liver. A hundred million? A hundred million, which is almost a third of the country. Uh, our liver takes care of so much it, alcohol, uh, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes, all these things affect it, cholesterol. And so the sluggish fatty liver uh, also makes us gain weight and lose energy. So I've suffered with this myself uh, with some high liver enzyme numbers. And so I started taking this product that is a sponsor of our podcast called Liver Health Formula. Uh, and it has got my numbers back in line. Uh, losing some weight, which is a good thing. Um, 
They have 12 clinically proven botanicals. They help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the USA, it's approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite the fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula. You're going to receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to help you reduce your sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com slash Unashamed to claim your free bonus gift. That's GetLiverHelp.com slash Unashamed. Are you going to tell the one about the them stealing the tire off yeah. the truck? Oh, that, yeah, sorry. yeah. Look, I drove. This look. is imp- this is a physics impossibility. <laughs> no, no. I'm telling you. Look, my job was I would drive the troops in a deuce and a half. Okay? They, they let you drive. Yeah, yeah. I had to. It was an order. But anyway, I would drive the troops from the uh, hotel room downtown Canto to the airfield where we worked. The army had you drive yeah. the troops. Yeah. But anyway, so hey, look, this is on the deuce knife with no canvas on it. Okay, open, open. Yeah. yeah. So they're sitting on top of the tires. So we go to work. That day, you know, 5 o'clock comes, I load them up. We leave there, okay, and I never got below 10 miles an hour. <laughs> you just remember that, Randy. No, no. You're, well, you're no, rolling. No. I'm talking about hey, 10 rolling. miles because there's heavy traffic that day. You know, 10 miles an hour all the way to the, to the hotel. I pull in the hotel parking lot. Park my truck, lock it up. They're unloading, jumping off the back of the truck. Yeah. You know, well, I've done locked my truck up, and when I'm walking toward the hotel, one of the guys says, hey, right, you're missing an outer deal. I said, ha, ha, nice try. What is an outer deal? Tire. Oh, there's See, two tires? Yeah, there's yeah, two, two tires. tires. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he said, no, seriously, come. You know, I look, I look at it, and I'm a stud sticking out. You know, well, there's a couple more troops coming off the truck. I said, hey, whoa, whoa. And they said, what? I said, hey, you just got up from over that tire. Where'd my tire go? <laughs> and they said, what are you talking about? I said, hey, I'm missing a tire, tire here, son. You were sitting above it. What what happened? He said, I didn't see nothing, didn't hear nothing. I said, holy, wait a minute. This can't be happening. So what happened? I'm uh, not following you. Hey, they, stole, they told, stole one of my tires. Going 10 miles an hour. Oh, while you were driving. <laughs> while I was driving. Somebody came out and stole your hey, tire. look. Hey, look. When I first got there, this day, tough, look. That'd be a tough thing to have you, your wrench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Impossible. Oh, no. Hey, they stole. Right, maybe the night before. But anyway, so I told you, know, I was telling this, and Phil said, he said, wait a minute, hold it. Was there alcohol involved there? I said, well, I kept a fifth in my in my fatigue pocket. So now we're getting to the oh, yeah. then, then Phil said, now your stories make sense. Because you told me that by the end of the day, that fifth would be empty. And I said, well, you're right there. He said, well, now your stories make sense. You was drunk, and you dreamed all of this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It was so. It, it was three days of, of these stories. But I, we had heard these stories growing up. And so I remembered all of them, and uh, sometimes I'd have to prompt side to, to get to them. But, well, how long know. is this book? If 95% of it's true, based on what I've heard, this must be the longest book ever, because I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know how many it's pages a, it's it It's a pretty it's good a, book. It's about that thick. Yeah. About it was about the size of uh, Good Call, yeah. about the same size. Yeah. But it's it was, really an interesting read. Yeah, It is. It is. It's fantastic. You know, you're you're never going to get bored, okay, because you don't <laughs> ever know what's going to happen next. You know? 
but but so what would happen, Jay, is each each one of the stories that Sai would tell were from a different era of his life, like his childhood, you know, his Vietnam experiences. So when we would do the story, of course, that was opening, and that's what got you laughing and, and into it. And then Sai would and Christine would tell some of the stuff that happened during that era from their life. So it was it was Sai's life story. But but tell through the prism of of what we love about him, which is which are the crazy, f- fantastical story. And now I'll get us back on what we need to be talking about about spiritual. Yeah. Okay. Because somebody asked me, "What did Vietnam teach you?" And I said, "Well, okay, it it teaches me, and I'll use Star Wars, okay, about you know Luke's father talking about coming over to the dark side." Yeah. I said, "Hey, I you know there is a dark side." Yeah. Okay, because I, I went there in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you can fall off the wagon here but, and you go to the dark side. So, Jace, let me tell you this. When we're out doing events and Sai's speaking, he'll tell these stories and get people laughing, and then he'll preach the gospel to them while they're all laughing and having fun, and they're they're more open to listening. Yeah. And so Sai uses that humor and then comes in and shares the gospel with them, and yeah. so it's amazing. And he does great. I mean, I'm, and I tell you all the time, I appreciate what you do. Get them laughing, and then, but you don't get to hear pop, that side. Pop them with Jesus, you know. So, at what point did you move from the dark side to the Jesus side? Was that when you got back home from yeah. Vietnam? Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's like what we're talking about. You know, you have something happen in your life, and clarity happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why there was that's why there was tension with you know size a new Christian. I mean, he's he's discovered what he wants to do, and he's married, and you know, get ready to start a family. And that's why there was that tension there because Dad wasn't there yet, and yet obviously they were so close. So, I mean, I just, you know, to be able to see that and and watch that and appreciate that is a lot. And Philip, I guess your role is kind of like mine. You're the story prompter, yeah. Um, in y'all's when you're out on the road and stuff like that to get side going, but you always know how it's going to end. And I, and I love doing appearances with side for the same reason. When Lisa and I speak, it's similar. You know, we're talking about um, pro-life and abortion and I do funny stuff up front, get everybody laughing, get everybody relaxed. Cause you know, then you're willing to, to listen. And then she comes in with the, with the power punch, you know, and tells <laughs> about her life and about what Christ did. So let's take another break. So when you uh, decide to have a family, one of the things that uh, you know is going to happen is you're going to have some unexpected medical bills. Uh, Jace, you've had a few of those uh, uh, with uh, having a daughter with cleft palate. Uh, I had a preemie daughter. Uh, so, you know, it, it happens. And um, the difficult thing is, what are you going to do? Um, a lot of times you're in a, you're in a bind. It'd be great to have some help. And uh, one of our sponsors is a group called Samaritan Ministries. And what they do is help each other share your medical bills. It's a wonderful idea. It's community Christians that help pay each other's medical bills. Uh, it's not insurance. It's assurance that you're part of a health care sharing community. And not only just on the financial side, but also on the spiritual side. Uh, the first thing they're going to do is pray. Uh, for your situation, and you pray for other people's as well. And uh, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries. Uh, and then they're going to send the money directly to you for these shareable bills. Uh, you get the encouragement, the comfort from having other people a part of your process. Also, uh, what I love is that when a, a medical emergency comes up, 
Uh, you don't have to worry about hospital, ER, doctor, whether they're in network because they have no network restrictions. So you got total freedom to choose your doctor, your hospital, whatever treatment is best for you and your family. So check these guys out. They're a biblical solution to healthcare. Lisa and I have joined up and uh, we're excited to be a part of this. Uh, we've joined 80,000 Christian households across the nation that are sharing 30 million in medical needs every month. You can become part of this community today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash unashamed. Join today. So I want to talk our last part of the podcast about Luke 14 is where we are. We'll get Simon Phillips take on this. Uh, Philip, you were, I don't know if we mentioned this in the last podcast, but you, before you went to Abilene, cause you told about that and wound up, you know, doing what you're doing now in the children's home, mm-hmm. but you went to the school of preaching for, was it a year? You were there um, with Willie? A, uh, a year and a half. Okay. So you and almost so, got through yeah. the whole thing and then the school shut down. That's right. Uh, yeah. And then went sent you to Abilene. But so what was it like being in school with Willie before we get in this text? I well, just, Willie was a lot of fun. You know, he, uh, he was a lot of fun, very knowledgeable about the Bible and, um, but he would just cut up so much. I mean, I don't know how he could learn anything, but he did. You know, he learned a lot. And I'm going to tell you something about Willie. I've seen him work with, um, uh, I guess, handicapped children and, and some programs like that. We did some of that stuff while we were in the school. And he's so good with that population. I mean, he can yeah. work with anybody, and he's just he's just fun to be around, and everybody loves him. And he used that in a really good way, even during the school. We were having Bible studies and converting people. Well, I know how hard it was on Jace. We talk about it all the time on the show. But Willie, I say about Willie, he put the A and D in ADD. So I can't imagine him sitting in the school of preaching classes for uh-uh. eight hours. I just uh, That, to me, would seem like they'd be torture. <laughs> there was a lot of pranking going on, and mostly <laughs> Willie, but then I was in with him. Yeah, 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 every time yeah. I'm in an audience, you know, where someone's speaking and I feel like, where's this going? Or maybe it's getting a little long. I'll see, I'll see somebody get up and I'll look and it's usually Willie. And I'm like, <laughs> that feeling I get, he moves on. <laughs> He's like, I have to get up and get out of here and get away. I'll come back, <laughs> but I can no longer well, I can, sit can't here take it. Yeah. in one spot. Yeah, I just yeah. can't do it. So back when we were first doing our books, we were recording them because they they do a lot better if you record your the audio version of your book. But the the engineer down there was telling me that Willie would have to leave um, every hour, like because you you sit there all day and read your book, and it's really hard because you got to do it perfectly. And he said Willie was just he'd get it, he'd leave, he'd drive around, he'd come back, and then he'd do another hour. So. Anyway, pretty funny. So we're in uh, we're in Luke fourteen. We left off um, the the end of thirteen just to just to let y'all know, Sai and Philip. So Jesus has been talking about the kingdom. Is is this stretch that we're in here? And in the last chapter, he kind of closes it out with this. Now he's kind of making these comparisons. So there's a, a Sabbath day incident uh, where he heals this woman. And the guy, the, the synagogue ruler who's there, you know, he, he doesn't care about the woman, but he does care about the rules. And so it's kind of this painting this picture that the, the people he's talking to, they tend to be held up over procedure or penalty rather than people. And so he's giving them these parables and he's talking about it. 
And then the last thing we talked about was there's a narrow door or a narrow road that we see in other contexts that he talks about. If you don't find him, you can't find the pathway into the kingdom. And so that's where the struggle and the tension is. And then he's heading towards Jerusalem, of course, to give his life. And so when he talks about that, and they kind of warn him about that. He gives a warning about Jerusalem. And I found something I wanted to read, Jay. This was interesting. This was on my little, I do a little daily devotional. And it's just uh, excerpts from different books and authors that I like. But this one's from Lakato. But I thought this fits so perfectly what we've been talking about, about Jesus. It says, this is from Lakato's book, And the Angels Were Silent. It says, Jesus died on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. The way Jesus marched to his death leaves no doubt. He had come to earth for this moment. And this is what we've been talking about in this context. The journey to the cross didn't begin in Jericho. It didn't begin in Galilee. It didn't begin in Nazareth. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. The journey to the cross began long before. At the echo of the crunching of the fruit, as that was still sounding in the garden, Jesus was leaving for Calvary. So I thought that was a really interesting little take. That was my little devotional verse for this morning. And I thought, man, that fits perfectly what we're talking about. Before the creation of the world, this plan was hatched. But now we're actually in real time in this study watching Jesus go to the cross because he's heading toward Jerusalem, which is it's pretty powerful. Yeah, and it's kind of like he the first nine chapters, you're seeing his claims. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be... uh to bring this kingdom of God that was prophesied in Daniel two and Daniel seven and this eternal kingdom, but he doesn't have the pedigree with the religious people or the respect because it's not fitting their narrative. And so the next few chapters on his way to Jerusalem, it's kind of like, what are the implications if Jesus is the son of God? That's right. And so in Luke 13, you know, he he heals this woman on the Sabbath and the religious leaders, you know, they didn't like it. You have this public embarrassment of the chief scribe getting up and, and he's like, if you want to be healed, do it on the other six days. <laughs> yeah. And so you're missing the point that, you know, Jesus is claiming to be the Sabbath. I mean, not only did he write the old law. He, he's fulfilling it. You know, we read in Hebrews 4. And then when we got to the narrow door, which was, you know, it's a difficult paragraph because most people take that to mean, well, you know, who are y'all to say, you know, it's a small way and, and most are not going to go. But then we kind of concluded that Jesus is the door. That's what he's claiming because of what he did. So, it's interesting. Then when we get to 14, it, it's the same script being enacted again. I have to admit, when I first read this chapter, and just a thought hit me that was kind of funny because of verse 12 through 14 and, and verses 25 and 27, I was like, you know, if I gave a title for a sermon, something to the effects of when you have a when you have a get-together, don't invite your friends. 
and how to hate your family. <laughs> People be like, that's what the sermons are on? Because if you just read those verses, you know, in verse 12, when he says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. And this kind of goes to where we started, I guess, for Cy watching uh, Lee Van Cliff now. <laughs> you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I mean, here's a guy talking about, you know, Jesus, another claim that he knows what's going to happen at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what makes him different from all other religious leaders. And then he gets down to that that verse where he says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, his wife, children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be disciple, be my disciple. I mean, if you just kind of read that and skim through it, you're like, wait, what? What, what is he saying? What are the implications? So when you look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and I do think there's a perfect explanation for those two things, but you start seeing the priority he's putting on, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anything that gets in the way of that, it's not going to end well for you. And so uh, I think, Al, before we read the where we're at, the first just few verses in 1 through 6, you know, I read that about the when you give a luncheon or dinner, you know, don't invite your friends or brother. You know, back in their day, their meals together was kind of the way to move up the ladder. You would host yep. the party. It was very expensive. It was like an investment. And you're 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 with having conversations behind closed doors and you're trying to get your people and you're trying to be somebody, you know, like today, the equivalent, I guess, would be you got a guy, you know, you got a guy for everything. You're well connected or you catch your break or the, it was a real uh, social class environment. And your primary goal was to move up the social ranks. And you did it through these get togethers. And so obviously, before we read it, you know, Jesus is trying to get get all human beings to see that you can't be so worried about you moving up the social class and you're neglecting being unselfish and helping other people. I mean, because he's describing what the kingdom of God is like. And you run that all the way to the end, you realize you don't really have anything to bring to the table. And so I'll read the first uh, few verses and we can talk about it. I think that's why they asked Si to be here, because this is another Sabbath day moment. And <laughs> I was told by someone that Cy was a Sabbath expert. Expert. I said expert. <laughs> Is it because he knows how to rest? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why? Well, anybody that can sleep 18 hours, hey, he is an expert. You're an expert on, <laughs> on resting. Okay. You need to put hey. that in your speech now. Yeah. You know, you're an expert hey, on resting. It's the like Sabbath. that guy you said, hey, you know, he, he, what, what's wrong with you? What are you leaning on? He, Man, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah, he was tired. <laughs> All right, let's take our last break. Yeah, what was that saying you used to have, Zai? You'd have work hard or? Hey, work like, hard and nap hard. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Hey, well, that, I that, work hard, so hey, look, I'm going to rest hard. And I'm going to do a lot of it. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, 
and I think this is the key phrase to understand. He was being carefully watched. They're watching him. They're watching him because they don't like him. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, which some versions say he was had intense swelling. So yeah, edema is what we would call it in the modern era. So we basically have a trap here. It's like he's being watched. This is one of these parties where people are moving up the social order. They're trying to catch Jesus. I mean, they've already said that there's a threat to kill him, you know, in the in the previous verse. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent. I mean, in my opinion, he's figured out this is a trap. Oh, yeah. And so he takes the initiative, and he puts it back on them. He sets his own trap. Yeah, and they didn't say anything. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, because he really didn't do anything that violated the Sabbath. He just reached over, grabbed him, and healed him. Well, what is that? There's no law against that on the Sabbath. You, you reach over and touch someone. But by his will, he actually healed him. So then he asked him, if one of you has, has a, mine says donkey or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Which is, by the way, the same thing he just said in chapter 13 with the woman who had been crippled for 18 years uh, in 13... 15, the Lord answered them, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? And then you notice their response there, they were humiliated. Well, here he says, will you not immediately pull them out? And they had nothing to say. <laughs> mm -mm. So it's like trap foiled because what what do you really do? So I guess the question is why why do you, what do you think he's you know what was he thinking in these moments? One of the things I wanted to say was and and I may be reading too much into this but it is interesting to me that this the disease this guy had this dropsy or edema was we would call that a swelling and it's usually now more common the feet and ankles, and it's the sign of either congestive heart failure or kidney failure or liver failure. So it's really interesting. This is a disease that really is just a symptom that you can see of something much more Yeah, it's something dangerous. worse coming. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, so I yeah. see the spiritual implication of that because that's what these guys have. You know, they have the symptoms on the outside that, about the Sabbath and all this other stuff they're doing, but they've got a much more dangerous thing going on in their hearts about what's going on. So I, I don't even think it's an accident that this is the disease that he healed. But yeah. again, I, I well, I'd love to see the visual. I think one reason they were quiet, too. Can you imagine somebody real swole up and, and a human? Just a guy no, touches him and look, it just goes like a hot air balloon. And yeah. Just yeah. Goes, yeah. <laughs> you're like. Wait, what? What did I just see? What did what, I just see? And how am I going to argue that? What I, what I look at here is, uh, why does a human being always go negative? Yeah. 
Because that was a positive thing that happened in this guy. Well, I think that's the point of this story because everybody's at this banquet for selfish reasons. They're trying to set a trap about for, self. for somebody. About self. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to set a trap for this new rebel leader who's <laughs> leading all these people. Because then he he makes this transition. Because you're like, well, what? Why does what is that happening at the party? have to do with the next part, but they have the same thing in common because he says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of the honor at the table, he told them this parable. So he just, he moves on from that into this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself mm-hmm. will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So then he then he says this, which he's going to repeat in the next uh, parable, but... So when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you realize then this is going to cost you. Yeah. Well, who wants to? Who wants to lose money? Now you're being unselfish. Now you're doing something for other people. And so the trap they laid, I think, backfired because. They wanted to see if he would violate the Sabbath, but Jesus did something that was very unselfish. And just think about how the man who was healed, how he felt. I mean, he, he didn't even hang around. He was, yeah. <laughs> I'll see you boys. <laughs> yeah, he went away rejoicing. <laughs> exactly. And you know, Jason, it's the created being healed by the Creator. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, God formed us in the womb, so He knows what we need. And here's a case where God is healing these people that he created you know just think about if i had a duck call that phil built and i took it back to the creator because i had a problem with it and said phil can you and he's like yeah here you go mac there you go yeah i mean that's like this is the creator of the human race healing the human race yeah and it put it gives you perspective in how we are to function and the bottom line is we should be unselfish and humble and and not think more than of yourself than you are to Oh yeah, because I, I look at this. They're asking, you know, they're asking Jesus, "Hey, why should I listen to you? What are your qualifications?" And He's done showed them by the miracles He's performed, you know, and a lot the people that had, had good common sense said, "Hey, you must be from God because you could not do pull off what you're doing if yeah. you wasn't." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. But I think it comes back to agendas, Al. You know, it's is are you is your primary goal to move up the ladder in an earthly way and put your faith and trust in your possessions and your connections and your status and your earthly power, or yeah. is there some other kingdom not of this world that is way more lasting and gives you purpose? And the difference is. You can't see that one unless you're humble. 
I mean, I think that's the message here. No, I think you're right. And um, it's that the one before it was more procedure over people. This one's more power over people because there's definitely a power climb involved. We're out of time uh, on the podcast. It was great, Cy uh, and Philip, to have you guys on. Wanted to hold you guys over, if you will, for overtime because, man, there's a lot more to unpack. And, and I've got a story where I actually, this happened to me. I, I violated this passage and had to pay the penalty. So I'll tell that story. I can't wait to in, hear it. In our overtime segment. So we'll uh, see you there. Uh, Blaze TV. Uh, action that requires an answer. There you go. Or uh, a consequence. I like it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out. Uh, BlazeTV.com. That's it. BlazeTV.com slash Unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.